This message is brought to you by DoNotAge.org, the longevity research organisation that's on a mission to extend health span for as many people as possible via products that actually work. Start your journey today at DoNotAge.org and use code LAMA for a 10% discount. That's L-L-A-M-A. I find that a lot of people in geriatrics and palliative care, we spend our time with people who are put a lot of the noise, filtered out a lot of the noise, and have a good focus on what really matters. Hello and welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. I'm Peter Bowes. This is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. Well, this is the latest episode from the 2018 Body Computing Conference at the University of Southern California. My guest is Scott Kaiser. Scott is a practicing geriatrician. He is the Chief Innovator Officer at the Motion Picture and Television Fund. Uh, Dr. Kaiser, welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. Tell me about the fund. What does it exist for? Yeah, so I'm at the Motion Picture Television Fund, otherwise known as MPTF. Uh, It's really an incredible organization. We're coming up on 100 years uh, in existence. And to kind of understand who we are and what we do, it's helpful to look back at at our initial history. So we were founded by Mary Pickford, Charlie Chaplin, Douglas Fairbanks, other Hollywood luminaries. I've heard of them. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. incredible. Uh, Mary Pickford in particular, the more I learn about her, I mean, what an incredible person. The industry is very lucky that she was committed to this. But so basically, they saw a need to create a safety net to support all of the men and women working in television and film, right? So if you go to a movie, you stay for the credits, there are a lot of people whose names you wouldn't otherwise see, who are working hard to make that product possible. Uh, and this organization was created to serve those people in times of need, right? So uh, basically, back then, there was no social security, no disability. So say a set painter you know, broke his arm, this was the idea was to create a relief fund where people could pool money to have something there should he need it in in times of need to feed his family and keep a roof over his head. So that was, you know, 97, 98 years ago, the creation of this motion picture relief fund. And that's still a huge part of what we do today. We give millions of dollars a a year away in charitable assistance that goes towards housing costs, food costs, medical costs, uh, all sorts of things that Uh, people need uh, in hard times, right? It's a tough industry, looks glamorous, you see the red carpet, but behind it all, right, it's uh, a lot of freelance work, a lot of hard labor-intensive work, long hours, times away from family. Uh, So having that safety net for the charitable services. But where it gets really interesting and why I, as a geriatrician, am involved Along the way, about 75 years ago, Gene Hirschholt uh, purchased some property. I guess he was driving out to his country home, and he saw beautiful uh, land with walnut groves. And he said, you know, that's where I'll create the motion picture television fund, country home. So they created a a place where people who work in the television and film industry can retire uh, and live and be cared for 
uh, irrespective of their ability to pay and irrespective of their level of sort of medical need. So that's our motion picture television fund, Country Home, out in Woodland Hills. Uh, That campus is an incredible place where we have about 250 people living and thriving today. And then again, where it gets interesting is with that, you know, so all these people were out in the country and they needed health care. And so apparently, you know, MPTF evolved and created a whole health system. And at one point, we had a large primary care system serving about 60,000 industry members, full hospital, which is now scaled back to just a acute geropsych hospital. But so all of these services. And then when you have medical need, of course, underneath all of that, there's social need, right? And so we have something like 30 social workers who are out there working, advocating on behalf of people in the industry. So it's just this incredible collection of services that's evolved over 100 years. Are the needs of this community, and I guess they're, they're not really, I was going to say, are they particularly different to any other community of that age? Oh, it's a great question. And that's something that uh, I really hope that we can dig in to deeper over time with some of the studies that we're bringing and and innovations that we're bringing to MPTF. But uh, in short, of course, in particular with regard to aging, there are some fundamental human principles that would apply to anyone, right? However, there are unique needs and unique assets within this particular community, Uh, of course, because You have a community that has a high proportion of very creatively engaged people. So that's sort of a distinguishing factor. And again, if you go back through the work, life, and career sort of life course of the people who are served by this fund, this is an industry that is distinguished by being unique. Long hours, time away from family, disruptive in terms of inconsistent work cycles, all sorts of factors that do make it a unique industry and in turn a unique population with unique aging-related needs. And I guess some people listening to this might say, well, are we talking about famous people here, well-known names? Or, as I think you've implied, and they're sometimes described as the -the below-the-line workers, those many, many names that you describe scrolling around at the end of a a movie or a a television show, those unknown names who've obviously worked the long hours and done some great work during their yeah. during their lives you know i've been really amazed in the, in the years that i've been working with mptf what an incredible mix and it really is when you look back i mean it's a very kind of socialist communal vision of kind of pitching in and everybody helping each other out and what i found in hollywood in that industry is you serve there's a lot of things that are timing and luck and you never know kind of when's your moment in the sun and and when you're kind of the odd man out, right? So uh, it's a, this crazy mix, and it's all about people stepping up to support each other in times of need, right? That's our mission, is supporting members of the entertainment community in living and aging well with dignity and purpose and in helping each other in times of need. So it's this communal effort. But that said, yes, if you look at the people on our campus Many of the people are people whose names you wouldn't know. There are the exceptions. I mean, we have people who live on our campus who are Academy Award winners. Uh, we have people who 
were studio moguls, right? So it's really amazing this kind of great equalizer that we all know that our own aging and can be um, to create this place where everybody can thrive, where it's about everybody living and aging well with dignity and purpose. Do you have a room for the Oscars? <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine the, the hallway lined with that, Academy that's Awards. That's a great idea. You know, there's, there, there was... And some people have proposed that we should have a motion picture industry museum on campus. There's all sorts of great things we can do. Imagine the stories. Definitely as a, geri- as a humble geriatrician, it's, I've definitely held more Oscars and <laughs> Emmys than, than I, my fair share. You've used the, the phrase, uh, the expression, aging well yes. a number of times. Can you, can you define that? What, what do you mean by aging well? Oh, wow. Well, I mean, that's, that's why I love your podcast and what, it's something we could talk about for the rest of our lives. And that's something that I think we hope to further define and study in our work at Motion Picture Television Fund. But, you know, certainly my perspective is this, you know, as a doctor, I went to med school, and you go and you, you go through a basic anatomy, and you do your rotations on the wards. And there's certainly a part of you there that you're so excited the first time you're in the operating room, it's like you're flying a a jet, you know, you just have this opportunity to do this very special thing. Uh, And you look at something on TV like ER and you see somebody take the paddles out and clear and save the patient. So, you know, that's kind of the medical education that you get and some of the things you see in society in terms of the power of modern medicine. But when you really dig into it, when it comes to at least supporting people in aging well, it's really much more about a myriad, uh, this whole fabric of social factors that really play the big role in terms of how people age well. Obviously, there are the lifelong factors in terms of the environment in which people are born and raised and grow, uh, the education level, uh, economic prosperity, all that. But then when it comes to my patients, when they lean in and they say, gosh, that woman just walked out of the waiting room, was 105 years old. How do I be like that? You know, So it's kind of the lean-in secret. What it really comes down to, for me, aging well, is there are the basics, the basic pillars of wellness, the things that you know, mom and grandma would have told you common sense about eating well, eating a good, healthy, balanced diet, eating your vegetables, exercising. Exercise is the best medicine. I would say 90% of anything I do is promoting exercise and getting a good night's sleep, right? So those basics. But where the real fun part comes in and where the scientific literature and our experience is just so clear is that there are these other social factors like the quality of your social connections, right? We We'll talk more about loneliness and how detrimental that can be to your health. So the quality of your social connections. Things like participating in intergenerational programs. There's just such value both for the youth participating and the older participa- participants to, to join each other in mutual efforts. And with that, civic engagement and sense of purpose. I mean, that's something where, again, people don't expect coming into a doctor's office to leave with a prescription, go volunteer, find purpose. But when we really look at aging well, of course, 
having a reason to get up in the morning, you know, in air quotes, a reason to, to, to keep you going, having a sense of purpose, that's incredible. And then, of course, something that we have incredible insight to in the community we serve, the value and therapeutic benefit of ongoing creative engagement, right? So things like that. And then attitudes about aging. I could go on and on, but there are these sort of hidden factors, social factors, that they really have the outsized impact in terms of aging well. And there are ways that we can engage people and connect them to resources that will have give them access to that kind of fountain of aging well. Or even the fountain of youth, sure. wh- whatever that is. But uh, what is really interesting from what you've just been saying is that I, I've heard this from many people now and, and kind of sitting where I sit, joining the dots, observing different communities like the Seventh-day Adventist community in Loma Linda, the, the longest-lived community in the United States. It must be something about their lifestyles. And so I spent some time there and made the same observations that you're making from the communities that you work with, diet, exercise. And we can debate diet for a long time, whether you eat meat or you don't eat meat, or you eat more fish mm-hmm. or you're a vegan or vegetarian. But having, a let's say, just a good diet, your your exercise regime, the spiritual side of your life, whether that is religious or not, but it's certainly a spiritual, social interaction side to your life. And with Seventh-day Adventists, it's going to church on Saturday and maybe not using their technology on a Saturday and not watching TV and being with family. Different communities have different ways of living, but it all comes down to to being with people. And so what's interesting to me, and you, you must reflect this, that the same themes keep on coming out that help us age well mm. and, and get to that grand old age. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really incredible. Obviously, when we look at cohorts or subpopulations or anything, we, we don't want to jump to conclusions. Uh, but there's really rich, scientific thoughtful work out there that substantiates everything we've been talking about that said i think we need more of that we need more quality research that proves uh factors that are likely to do us great benefit and very unlikely to do us much harm so that we can then in turn invest in the proper resources to bring people access to those services because it's a shame that we you know, as a society, say, spend massive amounts of dollars on futile end-of-life ICU care and can't find a couple bucks to scratch together to bring people together for a meditation retreat or to go to a museum and discuss art, which can be life-changing. I guess one of the difficulties is, and one of the problems, if you're just looking at the hard science, is simply the logistics and the funding necessary to do some of these long-term studies that need to be done to prove the value of, let's say, music and and older people and how it can help people, especially with dementia or dementia-related conditions. There's clearly a lot of anecdotal evidence that it's beneficial, but we need some hard science. We need some big organizations putting money behind this to really move it forward to, to a point where... It's funded on a big scale to help people on a big scale. Yeah, well, you know, that's what's so exciting about being at this conference today and and the kind of partnerships of people that I, I and we've worked with over years here. 
um, is that there really is an opportunity. Once there's that awareness of this need and people really put a priority on uh, really understanding what it takes for us as individuals and collectively to age well, uh, once that's prioritized, I mean, there's great opportunity. So, you know, what do you need? You need quality scientists and academic partners. Here in Los Angeles, we have many willing partners and, and great people to work with. And you really do need a good population to study. And that's what we're excited about with Motion Picture Television Fund is we serve people across the lifespan. I mean, we have everything from child care to end of life care. So we serve people across the lifespan in a very unique industry that's broadly representative of people at different socio-demographic, socioeconomic levels. And we have this opportunity to really begin to dig in and, and work to study to understand some of these things that, you know, what, what are the factors that can help us live well and age well? And specifically, uh, things offshoots like what are the factors that can help us preserve our cognitive health and reduce our risk of developing dementia. So, so much to be learned, but we have the whole milieu here of, you know, great, thoughtful uh, scientists, a population, great advocates, and we certainly need more philanthropic support for any of your listeners out there who are getting excited by what I'm talking about. Yes, let's band together and find ways to support this kind of very important work. Away from your work with the fund as a practicing geriatrician, what is the most rewarding aspect of your work? And we'll continue this conversation in just a moment. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we're the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Oh, my goodness. Uh, that's a good one because it's hard to answer because there are many, many ways I could go with that. But I'd say the first thing that comes to mind and the strongest thing is the value of really getting to know people and their stories. I'd say universally, whether in my medical practice, my work at MPTF, uh, or just in anything I do, what I really love is uh, understanding people's experiences, really learning from, really trying to understand what makes people tick and what has allowed them to sort of amass their interesting life story and life course and, and then hopefully learn from that and figure out ways to connect with people to make things better for for subsequent generations. So, you know, I mean, I just think, you know, come on, I'm a geriatrician and I'm with this great entertainment industry community. I get the best stories. I mean, come on. Oh, you, you were, yes, and you took the words out of my mouth, really, that some of the best stories, some of the greatest stories come from these... From good storytellers. Good storytellers, which, of course, obviously, you're working in that industry, but older people generally yes. are great raconteurs, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a perk of geriatric medicine. When I talk to students 
about going into geriatrics. You know, there are unfortunately a lot of social barriers to going into geriatric medicine. There, there are many reasons why it, we don't fill our fellowship slots in geriatric medicine. And we could opine about this for hours as well. But certainly, it's the only field in medicine that I know of where you do more training to likely have a lower average salary. There is rampant ageism still within the medical community and within med schools um, as there are as there is socially you mm. know in the u.s everywhere that ageism is is just something that's about you know alive and well and and rampant how does it manifest itself in a medical school oh my goodness uh, i could go on forever but things like oh why would you you're a bright kid why would you waste your time with that Things that's, like, that's quite shocking, really. Things it? like, um, oh, really? Oh, but that just isn't that that you really want to set yourself up for a life of frustration? Being seeing patient after patient that takes too long and is slow, and you know, and and maybe even allusions to bad smells and you know all sorts of stuff. So that's just sort of the overt. Uh, but I think there's just like any kind of bias. Uh, there's a lot of kind of hidden bias and institutional bias and systematic bias. So, you know, I think there's a lot to be done there. But that said, so when I go out and I try and encourage people, particularly people who've had formative experiences, intergenerational experiences, a very important older person in their life, or really been moved by, you know, what can be accomplished when sort of the generations come together. Also people who, I look for people who are excited about the fact that we have this inversion of the population pyramid and that people are living longer than ever and we have more older, you know, we'll soon have more older people walking around than younger people or however you want to look at the stats, right? So people are excited about big social questions and opportunities, right? But then I, I do tell them that, hey, you, there's some perks like the best stories and just sort of a, a good attitude on life because I find that a lot of people in geriatrics and palliative care, we spend our time with people or put a lot of the noise, filtered out a lot of the noise and have a good focus on what really matters, what's important, right? We all know about the U-shaped curve of happiness and that hits a tanks out in midlife Kids are happy. Older people sort of become happy again. So it's really nice to be in geriatric medicine where you spend time with people who are really confronting some heavy things but have filtered through a lot of the noise of midlife and really kind of have and can provide a good sense of what matters. So when you work with people in the clinic who are later in life and you're helping them deal with their issues, when you go home... You know, some of the things that seem so urgent that particular day, really kind of you have a longer view, which I think is very healthy for a happy, well disposition. And as you go through your life, do you think about your own longevity much? And do you apply what you've learned, I suspect, from what you've already said that you exercise a lot for your own health and for very good reasons? Yeah. But uh, do you focus on a number, perhaps, or your own aging process? I certainly, I, the only 
way I look at a number is just in disbelief of what a stupid marker a number is. I mean, I really don't pay attention to the number. I laugh at the number because whatever age I am, I just look at the disconnect between what it's supposed to mean and what it means to me and what it's supposed to mean for my patients and what it means, what it actually means. So the age is a number thing. That that definitely is part of it. But yeah, I've been waiting. I've been thinking as a geriatrician, am I going to look, am I going to have those days where I'm looking in the mirror and seeing more gray hairs or thinking my joints hurt or gosh, I'm getting old or something. But I don't know. I think I just look at each day is this great new opportunity, and I really feel like with each birthday that comes, I look at how I've been amassing experience and life's getting better, and I'm trying to enjoy each point along the way of new children and you know expanding family, expanding opportunities, and just trying to do my little part to to make things a little better for people around me. So, I mean, I think there's no question that my career very much shapes my aging experience but definitely not in those kind of traditional ways and i'm always searching for that one special thing that some people think they have discovered and applied to their own way of life whether it's some form of exercise or a a way of eating or fasting or whatever your thing is do you have a a thing that you do that's good one so so the exercise one's great because I, you know, I struggle like everybody else trying to manage everything in, in my t- busy schedule. Manage your time. And I go, you know, in and out of being consistent in my exercise. But I definitely would say that my work is a great motivator and that I, I know that, for example, when I'm practicing yoga how much I'm benefiting. So it's really, it gives me a little extra kick to make myself get there and get on the mat or whatever. But the, the, the thing that first came to mind when you asked that was uh, my son started surfing this summer. And I used to surf when I was in med school. And I, you know, and I, there's a lot of reasons you could convince yourself not to go out. Uh, you know, it's cold, uh, you could fall. There could be sharks. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons you could convince yourself not to do it. But lately, I've definitely been finding the motivation to get out there and surf for a number of reasons. Uh, one, I'm out there with my son. So I think for everything I've talked about with aging well, that connection is vitally important. And I like investing that time. But then, of course, my clinical specialty is in taking care of people with dementia. So I know that when I'm out there doing a physically intensive exercise that requires me to work on my balance, that includes a cognitive load because I have to analyze the way the waves are going, where to put myself, how fast to paddle, and where I have to coordinate everything. It's like the best possible medicines, the best thing I could be doing. And, of course, there is that sort of connection with the outside environment, getting the sunshine, fresh air, and even a spiritual component, you know, to, to being out there just one little blip in that big ocean. So I definitely would say that's not sort of my my one prescription, but for me, that's certainly something lately that uh, that I've had a new perspective on, and I see the value of it in a new way. I can see the value too. That sounds great. Well, look, this has been a really good conversation. If uh, people want to find out more about the fund that you work for, uh, where can they go? Oh, that's easy. Uh, MPTF.com mptf.com definitely come visit our website 
uh, learn more. We talked about just one sliver of what we do, serving people you know, across the lifespan, serving people in the industry, but really trying to do it in a way that could benefit people well beyond the industry as well. So always looking to connect and, and uh, work together, and thank you for having me. Well, it's been a great pleasure, Dr. Scott Kaiser. Thank you very much. And I will put those details on you just mentioned uh, onto the show notes uh, for this episode on our website. That's at llamapodcast.com, double L-A-M-A podcast.com. Just want to say many thanks to everyone here at USC, at the Body Computing Conference, for their hospitality today. And thank you for listening. FlexBeam is a portable red light therapy device that's now being used by leading athletes, including the Norwegian tennis player Kasper Rud. Whenever you put the FlexBeam on, you feel it starts to work right away. I need something that can help repair all the fibers that I have broken in the surfs. The infrared lights penetrate your skin and makes the muscle tissue recover faster. FlexBeam, I keep it with me all the time. Recharge Health is offering Llama Podcast listeners an $80 discount on the purchase of a FlexBeam device. Go to the website recharge.health and use the code LLAMA at checkout. That's L-L-A-M-A. You'll also find the link in the show notes for this episode.